Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. We are jumping into a new series today called Your Story, God's Story. And and I, as I was thinking about this week, I mean, yesterday, how many of you spent a lot of time looking back over some of the stories and some of the videos and all the different things that happened with 9-11? Any of you spent a little time watching some documentaries, going back and reading that? Um, you know, it's an interesting thing to come on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, the greatest act of war uh, and atrocity on our own on our own soil that's ever taken place. Uh, thousands of lives, innocent lives that were lost in, the, in that great tragedy at the Twin Towers at the Pentagon and through United Flight 93. And, and as I went and looked at that, everyone kept asking the question, where were you? And it was amazing how, many, how everyone knew where they were, right? Uh, you know, I, I went back and read um, Todd Beamer, the, the manuscript from Todd Beamer's um, phone call that he made from Flight 93 when all that was going on. If you've never read the whole thing, it's just gut-wrenching to read through step-by-step step the entire conversation. The process is he realizes our plane's been hijacked. Other planes have been hijacked. Hijacked planes have been crashed into buildings that are being used as weapons of terror. And it begins to realize him. And as he talks with the agent there, Lisa, and says, my wife's name is the same as yours. Would you tell her I love her? Would you tell my kids that I love them? Would you tell my unborn child that I love him? Would you make sure you pass this on? And then she disappears for a little while and he comes back and says, we've made a plan. We're going to try. We're not going to allow this, this plane to be used as a weapon. We're going to take it. And then he stops and he asks her, he said, would you pray with me? And they pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And he begins to pray. Then he recites the Psalm 23. And he says, you know, that I'm going to go through the valley of death, but you are with me. And then he turns to the guys and he says, what? Let's roll. And we know that story because it's etched into our memories of the history of our country and who we are as a people. And there's something about that. When we would go on a trip as a family, I would uh, count out one, two, three with my kids. I'd say one, two, three, and I'd do this. And all the kids would go, let's roll. And it was because of this story. Because you never know what's your last trip, do you? You never know what your story's, how your story's going to unfold. And when he woke up that day, he didn't know what was ahead of him. And yet God met him in the intricacies of a, of a national tragedy. And we remember that because it's etched into our memories. So as I was reading last week, uh, or as I was lo- looking online yesterday, I just saw so many people answering the question of where were you? And you can, you, so many people can, can specifically say, and I remember I was at home when the first plane hit and I had a meeting to get to. So I jumped in the car thinking, man, this is crazy. And I remember seeing that thing. And I told Nan, I was like, I think that building's going to fall. But I got in the car and I rushed to the office and then we heard about the second plane hitting and we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have a TV and um, we pulled out an, uh, an old TV at the church I was working at out of storage and an old closet 
and, and there in a just dungy dark room with tons of stuff all around we we didn't have cables so we managed to like do the antenna thing and we got a fuzzy signal that came through and we sat there with the janitorial staff and the pastoral staff and anyone that wanted to come in that room and we watched this thing unfold in front of us and I always remember being there with this group of people in a completely uncomfortable place as we shared that story. Isn't it amazing how an event like that can make the world stop? And what's amazing to me is we collectively remember that because it was something we all did together, right? Now, why am I talking about all that today? One, it's because it's the 20-year anniversary and it's important, but I think there's something else I want us to think about today and not to move beyond 9-11 or not to minimize what happened there, but to, to think about it from maybe a different angle. See, the story of what happened at 9-11 is etched in our memories collectively, but there's a reality in each of our lives that there are stories that you lived individually that the rest of us don't know. There are events in your life that are etched in the, your personal history that we don't, we don't have a 20-year anniversary of. We don't celebrate together the, the memories that you may have experienced because we don't know those things. We, we don't come alongside you and say, tell me where you were when you heard the news of that event that happened in your own life. And we don't have many avenues to share those kinds of things with one another. And one of the things that I just have experienced as a pastor is I have the privilege to get to listen in on parts of your stories and different things going on in your lives uh, in different ways. And there's times where I look out and honestly, I'm in the middle of a sermon. I'll go, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish she knew about his story. And I wish that guy back there knew what was going on in this guy's life because there, there's connection points and there's things that God's doing and all these things that, that I wish we could come together. And uh, the stories that we all live are unique and they're, they're special. And I believe God wants to use them in unique ways in our lives. And so as we think about this, um, I think it's important for us to reflect on our stories. And so we're going to take a couple weeks and we're going to do that. And here's really why, uh, why I realized that, that we need to do this. One, I did this several, um, a long time ago, and it was really meaningful for me to be able to sit down and share with someone these stories because everyone I know has got these things in your life and you get in these conversations and think, man, I wish, I wish these people knew about this thing that happened in my life, but I don't, I'm not really sure how to, how to tell them about this. or I, I'm not really sure how to bring them into my personal history. Uh, you know, you move from a new place and you come into a new people and you enter into a new church. You come from Alabama or California or come from somewhere else and you jump into this church family and you've got all this history and all this stuff and you think, man, I wish these people all knew me, but it's hard to figure out how do I, how do I tell them about all the things that have happened in my own life, Right? Can you relate to that experience when you come into a new church? Here's what I know about you. You have victories that you celebrate, that you go, man, this was one of my greatest days. And you've got defeats that you hang your head about, and they, you, can, you, can, you can get depressed almost just thinking about that, that bad experience you went through. Uh, some of us have people that have been heroes in our lives and they, they, they've really changed the trajectory of our life because of their presence. And, and you would love to tell someone about, man, let me tell you about the guy and how he spoke into my life and changed, my, changed the course and trajectory of my life. A boss. I know of your story, Paul. Uh, someone who collected you and helped you find a new way in, in terms of becoming a pilot. And so those stories are meaningful to us, and it's important that we learn to share those things. We've experienced high points that are glorious, and you've experienced hardships that you thought, I'm not sure I can survive this right now. 
And we all have these things in our lives. You know, when I think about the, the things that, that unfold, for some of you, the first time you had the thought, um, I'm pregnant, and I'm talking to the ladies here, guys, clearly, right? <laughs> you with me? But for some of you, the first time you had the thought, I'm pregnant, was one of those terrifying experiences of your life. As you were a high school student, and you knew that this was going to change the all to the course of your life. For others of you, you heard I'm pregnant, and it was the answer to years and years of miscarriages and infertility and praying and tears. And, and when you finally realized that, it was the answer to years of longing. And others of you have still never heard that word. And those stories and those moments shape, they reveal who we are, but they also transform who we are as people, don't they? They're important for us to be able to experience those things together. And so um, there's also another part of our, um, our, of our lives we often don't talk about. And that's the hand of God. Uh, because we, we experience heroes, we experience high times and hardships. We have a heritage and a history and, that we bring to, uh, in, into a relational connection with other people. And, and all these things help shape us, but it's also the hand of God that shapes who we are. And in this, God uses pivotal decisions in our life to form us. He uses everyday stuff in our life to guide our paths. He sends strategic friendships and relationships into our life to help shift our course and guide us in a new direction. He meets us with His grace in the midst of our sin and our failure. And he shows us what love looks like in the person of Jesus Christ. And he redirects our path and restores us to a better way. And these things are important for our lives, but I think there's not many ways for us to share these things with one another, are there? There's not many places where you can sit down with someone else in the church and begin to have that conversation. I mean, how many of you want to do that here today? Anyone want to tell you about, tell me about your sins and how God met you there? Like, you just stand up and go ahead. Like, this is not a very, a very hospitable environment for that kind of a conversation. But if church is just something that happens where one guy gets up and talks to a group of people, there's no place for your story to, to be met with the grace of God's community and the culture of the gospel. And so we need to break it down in small groups. We need to find places and pathways where you can sit down with someone else and say, hey, can I tell you my story? And let that encourage someone else. In fact, the scriptures say that where you have experienced the comfort of God, you have the ability then to comfort someone else. And it's only in that relational connection where you can testify to, you know what, when you're going through this hard place, God will meet you there. God will, God will, God will work through your life. And let me encourage you and, and tell you about the way the Lord works. So why do I share with this? Well, since this is our fall kickoff, I want to just tell you, one of our vision goals for this year was that we as a church would learn to share our stories with one another. And so we started out this year, uh, or really last year, we, we did this as elders. Our elders all prepared their story, and they shared stories with one another, and we walked down that road together. Last January, we had a leader equipping workshop, and Chris Clark shared his story, and we talked with you about how to share stories. Um, we've been working with that with some of our leaders in training. And this fall, we want to introduce you all to how it is you can begin to do the work of looking at your own story and sharing that story in the context of our small groups. And so we want to kind of move forward in that this year. And let me tell you why. Uh, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're just going to look at one main verse today, and there'll be a couple places we'll dive in and go a little deeper, but let's um, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Looking at that, I was like, that's the wrong verse, but that's because I'm in 2 Thessalonians. 
and it was definitely not helpful for this topic. Uh, it, was a little, it was a little dark. So uh, let me go to First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I think this is a, a fascinating, uh, simple little verse. But it says, uh, being very affectionately desirous of you. Uh, some of you got uncomfortable just now. You're like, like affections. You're getting into feelings realm. Not sure how to go there. Not sure how to engage. Jeff, you, you may have lost me a little bit here. Uh, you're starting to, starting to crowd in. I'm starting to feel a little cramped here. But he's saying, because we care about you. Because you, we see you as a friend, because we love you, because uh, we, ha- we have a desire to get to know you, um, Paul says, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. Now, here's what's to me amazing about this verse. This is the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, like if there's ever been a guy who loved the gospel, whose life was all about the gospel, it was Paul. Like this was a guy who wrote in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. And then went on to write the greatest treatise on the gospel of Jesus grace, an explanation of all of its implications for our life ever in humanity, but also in all the Bible, in, in the book of Romans. So he wrote the greatest thing ever about the gospel, and he's going, I want to share with you not only the gospel, but my very self. The gospel, there's something beyond the gospel I want to share with you, and that's my life. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. So this is not a trivial thing, right? It's the thing that I preached, it's the thing that saved you, it's the thing that causes you to stand spiritually. He says, for I delivered to you what is of first importance, meaning the highest priority of my life. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Was the, was the gospel important to Paul? Absolutely. Uh, Philippians 1-2, he talks about being in prison and suffering and all the things he endured. And he says that all of this happened to me really served to advance the gospel. And he says, all that's worth it. Everything I've endured was worth it because the gospel was advanced and it went forward to the people. Paul was known as uh, the, the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He was an apostle that came in late in life and his main priority and mission was you take the gospel to all the people out throughout the rest of the world. And he hungered and died and, and thrived trying to take it to the ends of the earth that he knew about in that day. The gospel was the most important thing in Paul's life. And didn't that make it fascinating here? In this verse, he says, We're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Now, why would he say that? Paul went on, I think, because he understood that the gospel is supposed to, what the gospel is supposed to produce in us. See, the gospel changes who we are, and it unites us to a new group of people. It actually makes us a new community. It makes us together a, a new nation, a new people of God. Roman, uh, 1 Peter 2 says, But you, meaning all those who believe the gospel, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Meaning, you're a new people whose responsibility it is, is to proclaim the gospel. 
what's the guy? I mean, what, what is it that's the the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? That's the gospel. That's the good news, right? So you're a new people, a new community, a new family that's brought together with the purpose of telling others about the goodness of God. He says, but. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you're a people of mercy. So through the mercy and grace of the gospel, we are created into and made to be a new people, a new family, a new community called the church. Now, the theological bedrock of the church is that the act of receiving the gospel or good news of God's mercy makes us together a new thing. That we're adopted into his family. We are now brothers and sisters. So look at the person next to you and say, hey brother, hey sister. I mean, you can actually say it out loud. Now, if they're actually your brother or sister, you may want to look somewhere else because you're just like, ah, you know. I know those, those sibling relationships are like. Let me say this another way. Gospel belief creates gospel community where gospel culture is intended to be lived. So when we have conviction about the gospel, we believe the gospel, it creates community for us. And in that community, we're supposed to live in a gospel culture. So gospel conviction creates gospel community where we live in gospel culture with one another. Now, what we're really saying is that our beliefs ought to be reflected in our belonging together. When we understand the grace of our stories, when we then we embrace one another with the same kind of a grace. Uh, let me just kind of talk about what I mean by gospel culture. The best guy I know talks about this, a guy named Ray Orland, he's a friend of mine, and he says this, he says, the gospel beautified church, which I don't even know if that's a thing, like if that's really a word, I think he just made that up. But the gospel beautified, meaning the gospel makes us beautiful, the gospel beautified church is defined by the mega fact that the gospel is good news for bad people. That good news is preached and sung and memorized and meditated on and discussed and savored as the focus of the church's endless fascination so we, we, are, we are endlessly fascinated with the good news of the gospel of Jesus and the grace that we have. He goes on to say, in this new kind of social environment that's created by the gospel, Christ is exalted, sins are confessed, shame is removed, dignity is restored, forgiveness is felt, races are reconciled, sexual integrity is recovered, money is humbled, power serves, sacrifice is normal, joy is contagious, and so forth. This is how the gospel beautifies a church. Do you want to be a part of a culture like that? He says, in that environment, people can admit the real problems. They're not pressured to grow at anyone else's pace because the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit's trusted. All the leaders of the church require is openness on the people's part. People are not penalized for being imperfect. So when we have grace and we have the Spirit, we can trust God to do the work in you. Our job is just to love you and to trust God to do the good thing and to point you to truth along the way. That's what gospel conviction about the belief of the good news of the gospel, how, how it creates a community that then lives within a gospel culture. You see how that works? And how important that is for us? So friends, this is why we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about the importance of sharing our stories. It's one way for us to try to live this out, for us to move into gospel culture, for us to live out not only giving ourselves, giving one another the, the truth of the gospel, but to give ourselves our very lives, or give one another our very lives and share, uh, share the truth of that, but also to... Um, to, to share our lives with one another. Now, I know some of you are, are just thinking, okay, so we're going to do group therapy for a while. 
that's really not what this is. This is actually something way beyond that. But I just, I know, I've done this enough to know half of you have already checked out going, oh, dude, skipping two weeks. Like, when's the, when's the next series starting? When do I come back? Um, it's okay to feel that way, but that says something about you, just FYI. Um, I'm just saying that there's something in your story that maybe needs to be unpacked in that. There's something in the background of your life that goes, me actually cracking open what's inside of me is not safe, and I'm not sure I can do that. And I think that's a place where maybe right now the Holy Spirit's kind of going, let me just touch that, right, that nerve. Like, you ever go to the dentist and he pokes something, you're like, oh. Like, that may be what God's doing to you right now. It may be the place where you're like, starting to cringe, and he's like, yeah, I want to do some work there. There's some stuff that needs to be cleaned up there. We need to, we need to, we need to, we need to lean into that space a little bit. And friends, it can be uncomfortable for me too, but let me tell you what it looks like when we don't do that. Well, let me say this first uh, before I get into this. Um, we're going to take like the next two weeks and talk about our stories, and then let me tell you where we're going after that. The rest of the fall, we're going to preach a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about uh, the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and what He does to save us and the fruit of the Spirit and how He produces good things in us and the fellowship we have of the Spirit and all the good stuff that God has given you because Jesus says, when I leave, in order to make you look more like me, I'm going to send you a helper and it's going to be better for you because you're going to have this proximity to the person of God that's going to take up residence in you and do work in your life. And so as we're calling you to share your story and you start to feel a little uncomfortable, you, you say, well, I think we may need God's help to be a place that lives truly a culture of grace, that lives truly a, a gospel culture. And for me to have confidence in God's grace enough to have confidence in God's people, um, may, may, I may need some help. We're going to talk about that. So we're going to take a couple weeks and talk about our, our stories. But what really is going to change us is not us navel-gazing and looking at ourselves. It's not group therapy. Uh, although those things can be really helpful. What's ultimately going to change us is the presence of God and His, and His work in our life. And so we're going, to, we're going to take a little bit of time here, and then we're going to go, okay, now let's focus on the Lord and say, Lord, can you help me with all this stuff? And so we want to see these, things, these two things go together. You see how that works? All right, let me tell you what it looks like when we don't do work in our story. Um, I've got a funny picture here. Look at the, this picture, and I don't know if you guys can see this little house here. So this is in the city of Boston, and you see this kind of tiny house crammed and wedged into these giant buildings. Let me tell you what this is. This house is actually for sale. You can purchase it if you wanted to. It's for sale for a mere $1.2 million. Um, it is an 1,165-square-foot 1, property. Uh, has two bedrooms, one bathroom, a full-size kitchen, a living and dining area, spread out over four stories. Each floor is 10 feet wide and 30 feet long. Um, so, like, half that house is stairways, right? And so you're just going up and down. Can you imagine, like, if you forget something in one room, you're like, oh, dude. Like, I don't need to eat today. Like, I'm just not going back up there. Like, I forgot it. It's just not that important. Now, why am I telling you about Boston's skinny house? Uh, this eyesore of a house is the product of a rift between two brothers. Going back to Civil War times, that a father had, had given a piece of property to two brothers, and when they came back from the Civil War, one of the brothers, the second brother, got home a little bit earlier, and he built his own house there on that property. When he got there, the first brother realized he built his house across my property line. Like, if you divided the price of property our dad gave us in half, he took more than, more than his fair share. And so in order to spite his brother, he built that skinny house so that his brother would have no view. It's right on the harbor. It's got this beautiful, uh, beautiful view of the harbor in Boston. 
And he purposely built the house and says, I'm going to block his access and I'm going to block his ability to see the ocean from his house. And he did it just to spite his brother. In fact, in Boston, this house is now called the, the Spite House. So 150 years later, this house is remembered for nothing and this family is remembered for nothing but a vindictive piece of real estate that one brother out of anger for another brother said, I'll show you. Um, Isn't that amazing? And that when we don't deal with the stuff in our stories, what can happen and where it can lead? Now, for me, as I think about this, in the next year we are planning to move into our own house as a church. Um, yeah, I, man, I hope we've got good news to share with you in the very near future. Like we're like, ah, like Chris and I talked this week. We're like, can we talk? I like that yet? But like, uh, just leave that out there and make that really uncomfortable for you all. But we hope we can share good news with you very, very soon. And in that, <laughs> Daryl's like, that's just mean, right? It's like, it's like talking to your kids at Christmas. You're like, you know what you got? No, I can't tell you what you got for Christmas. We'll wait till Christmas day, right? But here's the thing. Uh, we plan to move into our permanent home as a church, our first church building. And in that, um, we will finally own our own house. And whether we buy or build that house, don't you want to be remembered for something greater than your spite? Yeah. Don't you want to be remembered for something greater than the vindictiveness or bitterness of your, of your heart? Don't you want our church family's first home to be looked at as a place, um, not of self-righteousness, not of judgmentalism, not of anger or fearful people, but to remember as a, as a house of God's grace where the gospel is not only believed, but believed and practiced within the context of those relationships, that community. I mean, you, we've spent this, this last spring and summer, looking at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I mean, my hope and my prayer is that our house will be known as a place that looks like Jesus, that, that loves like Jesus, that, that, that gives glory to the Father in heaven because of the way in which we demonstrate the light of Christ in our city. And in a world that's divided by dysfunction, wounded by bitterness, polarized by opinions, where it's become trendy to deconstruct your faith and embrace a post-truth, post-Christian approach to life, I'm convinced that the greatest opportunity that we have as the people of God in our city is to be people of gospel conviction and gospel community practicing gospel culture. And that as we love one another, that that will testify to our city better than anything else that we can do. I was reading this week about the early church and uh, how they encountered a world in many ways similar to our own. Do you know that in around 100 AD, there were only about 7,500 followers of Jesus? So, so at the end of that century in which Jesus lived and died and rose again, there was only 7,500 followers at the end of that century. But by around three, 350 AD, there were over, three, over 30 million. Why? Theologian and Pastor Tertullian um, in the second century said this, the pagan world around them, as they looked and they watched it, what was happening in these Christian communities were constantly in awe of the Christian communal life. And they would say over and over to one another, see how it is that they love one another? Is that not amazing? Why did the church explode? Um, it, it wasn't because they protested. 
It wasn't because they were angry at the, the, the false gods around them. It wasn't because they screamed and yelled and ranted and raved. It was, uh, but, but they, they knew what they believed and they knew who Jesus was and they trusted his work in their midst. And because of that, he had allowed it to define their lives and allowed it to define the way they reacted to, they related to one another. And they began to live differently and they called each other brother and sister. And they saw themselves as family. And they sacrificed, and they served, and they gave, and they loved, and they cared for, and they bared one another's burdens. And they lived out the one another's that are all throughout the New Testament as the people of God created through the gospel of God's grace. And people looked and they said, I don't, I don't understand everything it is about them, but see how they have to love one another? Um, that's what they were famous for. Isn't that what we want to be famous for? Don't you want to be famous for how much we love one another? Now, one of the humorous things about this was they, lived, they did live a distinctive life. In fact, it was kind of confusing to them because, because they called each other brother and sister. Uh, it actually was like one of the lies that was kind of spread about them or rumors that was spread about Christians was uh, these people are all incestuous. Because they, they call, everyone calls one another brother and sister, but they're like, some of them are married, and I don't understand how this is even working. Uh, but, but there was something so distinctive about their communal culture that people looked and they saw it as this unique, distinctive, different thing. And the thing that, that stood out was how much they loved one another. And that's my heart for us. And so we need to believe the gospel. But we need that gospel to produce in us and make us a, a community that's a gospel culture and a gospel thriving community um, that's shaped by the love of Christ and with the God's spirit that we would be able to do that. So let's go back to the verse we started at today. First Thessalonians to you. Only the gospel of God, but lives because you had become very dear to us. Friends, as you read that, can you say that to one another? that to the people of this church? Can you say that to the people in your small group? I think that's the call. All of the scriptures to us is that we, like Paul would say, because of my affection, I'm, I'm the greatest thing there is. I want because of my absolutely. There's nothing more important than the gospel. But when we share the gospel, when we believe the gospel, when we have true gospel conviction, it's going to create community that lives by gospel culture and will love one another with the grace of the gospel. And that's what we're asking for, increase our, our community around the gospel. And because we believe that gospel culture makes all the difference in the church. And so here's, here's what I realize of having done this job for a long, long time. It's what brings energy to the church. It's what's brought to the church. It's what brings, uh, what brings growth to the church and purpose and worship to the church. It's relationships that are infused with gospel culture because of, of strong conviction and the grace of God in the, in the gospel. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would make us a people who are centered, whose whole hearts are captured by the, your grace and the good news of the gospel. Father, might that conviction birth in us a, a love for your community of the church. Father, would you give us the grace with your Holy Spirit's help to live out the culture of grace and the gospel um, towards one another. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.